You should have seen the burger I did last night. It's more of a home invasion. <laughs> oh, wait, you're recording now, aren't you? Yeah. You are recording now? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking. For one, I don't do that shit. And for two, I don't do that shit. I'm 50 years old. Jeez. Welcome to Nobody Dies Here. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes. This episode, we're walking into Zone 3, also known as aftercare. If you've come to the MSER to inject, you have to move through the building in one direction. So almost everyone passes through here on their way out. It's pretty much MSER's central station. The staff seem to be constantly swiping one of the five doors and crisscrossing the space, cutting through to other zones or to the tea room. And again, there's a counter with the MSO computers and always two or more staff, but the feeling in here is totally different to Zone 2. On the walls, there are event posters, chalkboards, there's client art, and on the counter, baskets of free stuff, from coffee sachets to lube and condoms, giving it a bit of an exit-through-the-gift-store feel. Aftercare is where someone will make you a warm drink, And depending how you're feeling after injecting, you might have a sit down or even catch up on some sleep. Everyone's still under medical supervision. Some might be shaking off the effects of overdose. And it's common to see people receiving oxygen in this room, a worker discreetly beside them, checking levels. Like everything at the MSER, the care on offer here is personalised to whoever walks in. And an astutely timed chat can change a life. Keeping in mind that people are post-injection, this is likely the most relaxed moment of their day or their week. So the vibe also varies wildly. Sometimes zone 3's a sanctuary and others more of a party. really fortunate to have food delivered free from Vinnie's and Oz Harvest in several places so we do provide sandwiches and cakes and fruit and we have coffee and tea etc which is fantastic. We have like the table set up a little bit like a cafe so people can sit around we have newspapers and stuff like that. People will be doing crosswords and sudoku and we have some staff that really love to yell out the quiz and get people involved. There are some great characters that come through that room and and love to, um, you know, almost like traffic control clients and staff alike. They'll sort of be ordering people around, telling people where to sit and that kind of all in good fun, like not at all aggressively. And it's also where a lot of the people that love to uh, have all eyes on them get to perform, which, which I love, yeah.
Some people might bring a guitar in or a didge. I've seen a few times. Can have actually music on the uh, on the TV just above the desk. So some people will be shouting out their own requests, and sometimes we have like full live concerts that are played on that on the TV. Yeah, just a prayer at the moment. Some of the best laughs can happen in there, and um, yeah, and people are usually just sitting having a tea and. You know, trying to relax or just trying to have a chat and connect. I mean, there is a sign in the aftercare zone that says not just injecting but connecting. It's it's a slogan, but I think it's a it's a poignant one. A lot of these clients have you know been engaged with services forever and are very skeptical of people and um, and people who aren't genuine they're onto them immediately because they've got huge bullshit radars if you're not particularly interested if you're just there doing a job clients won't engage with you because they'll be aware of that sort of stuff and they're often very skeptical of new staff that start to because they've seen lots of you know people come and go and try to help them and so they, they wait a bit, they won't, they'll often give new staff a bit of a hard time and that's one of the things we say in induction with new staff, don't take that personally. You know, that's just the point they've got to because of, of where they've, they've come from and what they've experienced in their life. But it's, it's, it, look, it's really rewarding when you can have clients are happy to see you and you're happy to see them and, you know, there's a guy in there at the moment who um, I'm really, you know, have a great relationship with, really like. So there are people who you just light up when you go there? Of course, yeah. Yeah, there are because, I mean, you can't help that. That's just human nature. We, we try and treat everybody equally, but, um, yeah. Because I've been working here for a while, I know the person, so I know if I can create a conversation with them or whether they just leave them alone. Yeah, give them their space. Sometimes I have a laugh with them. Sometimes it's a picking up a conversation that we had last time I seen them. Sometimes it's just remembering. I think that's really important. It could be something simple, like it's not all doom and gloom. Like, I don't know, they're going to buy a pair of runners. Checking in next time, oh, did you get the runners? Where'd you get them from? I think that makes people feel like they've been heard. That's, that's what makes it feel like home to people. yeah. yeah. Being seen, being noticed. Yeah, well, belonging. They must love having you there, that familiar face. I don't think it's me so much, but they do like familiar faces. And I think it's because with a lot of people, there's so much chaos. When they come here, having people they know gives them that yeah, sense of stability when they come in, because when they leave, they're walking back in to chaos, whether it's external chaos, internal chaos. So last night I was working in the activities room and I did not know that there were, you know, mounds and shelves and boxes full of clothes yeah. for, for clients. Yeah. And um, in the winter it comes in particularly handy because clients... Um, often need extra clothing, bedding, jumpers, shoes, socks, um, anything that's going to keep them warm. And they often lose the clothing that they have if they're homeless. Things get stolen all the time or forgotten. 
I mean, sometimes on a, we'll have a, a client come through at 10 o'clock in the morning and not have any socks or shoes or appropriate winter clothing and we'll deck them out and they'll come back to you two hours later and they're back to just their jeans and a T-shirt. Why would that be? I think they're just sleeping rough. They're in a hard time in life and, you know, might have lost their family, lost everything and who knows what's happened. But we'll just provide them again, you know, that's doesn't matter. And then we might try and say, hey, what's going on for you today, you know, if you try and work out if they've got other workers or a care team that we can contact if we've got consent of course um you know or if they haven't maybe we can link them in with a referral getting a referral here doesn't mean you have to go elsewhere organizations like fitzroy legal service launch housing and regen a drug and alcohol service all come to the MSO regularly to connect with clients And that can make all the difference, being a one-stop shop. Because if you have an ever-present need to get hold of a banned substance, that can easily become your priority. And looking after the rest of your life and health, that can fall away, sometimes for years. There's a couple of clients that I know that they're older men in their 60s and before this room opened, both of them had been sitting in their lounge room using a loan for 20 years. I've built a really good relationship with one client, I'll just call him Fred, and when he comes in, I look out for it and I'll go and say, hey, how are you going? And he's like, I'm great, you know, what's happening? And then when he goes into zone three, I'll go and sit with him for a while and try and make sure he gets a grocery bag and you know recently he wasn't looking too well I'm like I'm a bit worried about you and he's like I'm a bit worried too so I got one of the doctors to come out and we did some blood tests and got to the bottom of some stuff for him which was great. And that attention that you're paying to someone's well-being over time is really crucial right? Yeah yeah I think so Um, especially if there's no one else in their life and they don't see GPs regularly or you know we can kind of really monitor that and you know the amazing thing is we do have GPs here you know that's the perfect scenario for our clients that sometimes feel judged with stigma and other things with other GPs we've got them here. Same client actually told me that he was living in housing that was really unaffordable for him and you know really relying on the food parcels and I said you know what's what sort of housing is it and he said oh it's private rental and it's really expensive it takes up nearly all of my pay so I suggested to him a couple of years ago that we do a a office of housing government housing application and last week it came through. Chatting with someone in aftercare and helping them sort out life stuff like housing can sometimes lead to other significant changes, including to their drug use. I think we always need to leave the client to make the first, to open the door, even if it's just a little crack, um, because we're not here to push anything onto anybody, you know. It's not for us to judge that they even need that. So, because, you know, a lot of people are well happy injecting drugs all their life and can maintain a, a, a fulfilling, happy life it's it's just a an aspect of their life but it's when it's not making them happy and it's it's starting to affect um relationships and everything else around around their lives that they may start to seek a way to move out of that
if someone does speak with us about, you know, I'm done with this, I've had enough of this, and, you know, we experience this often, we speak to them about, well, maybe here are some of your options. Have you considered these before? Have you tried treatment before? What treatment have you tried? What worked best for you? What other dots in your life can we help you join up to make the treatment more successful? Because if you send someone or they, you know, go to treatment themselves, if all the dots in their life aren't joined up in some way, shape or form, then the chance of the treatment being successful is is significantly less. So the harm reduction approach is saying, why don't we help you join the dots in your life so that things aren't so um, muddy for you? You can see things from a different lens, that you can see all the options that you have, not just this one option of substance use. And then let's work together with you while you seek out you know treatment options but importantly if you change your mind and you don't want to do that you can still come in here and it's going to be fine we're going to welcome you whether you want to go to treatment or not that people go to treatment when they want to they stop using substances often without any treatment at all when they get to that point of their life when the dots are joined up and things aren't so chaotic for them that their substance use naturally declines um, and may well stop. How do you cope with that when you feel a connection with someone and you see them doing things that aren't necessarily in their best interests? If you feel they're putting themselves at risk, you can create a discussion about it. But if it's a choice they're making, you've got to respect that. And yet you might see something and think, oh, if only things were different. And once again, creating that conversation to see if there is something that we could assist them with. But if they say no, no is no. You've got to respect that it's their life, it's them walking that path and you're walking it with them. In aftercare, harm reduction can also mean offering on-the-spot naloxone training to anyone showing interest. Yeah, so, so we'll take 10 to 15 minutes. Some people just need a refresher course. Some people will just be looking to ref- refill some of their naloxone that they've had to use or they've lost out in community. There's three different types of naloxone that we use. Uh, so there's the ampules, they're the singular vials. Uh, Then you've got the Prenoxad, which is a pre-loaded syringe that you just need to attach the tip and then you can administer. Uh, And then you've got the Nixoid, which is a nasal spray, uh, which provides like a high dose um, up the nose, really easy to administer as well. How much less confronting to administer? Yeah, very much so, especially if you're not used to needles or those kind of things. Or people that, you know, might feel quite extreme shock uh, seeing an overdose. And even people that are well-versed in using needles can often forget what to do or second-guess themselves. So Nixoid up the nose is great.
You think about people who use substances and those people who use our service, you know, they live in a community um, and they support each other. They look out for each other. It's a very close community. Most of them know each other. They have done for years. And so, you know, working here is part of that community as well. I think the staff, you know, need to be you know, integrated as best you can into that community so that there's a rapport that's built up and there's a level of trust that the clients establish. So you feel included in that community? It's not a community that you're building for the people who inject drugs who come to use the service? No, well, this service is here because that community was already here. That community was, you know, in Richmond for a very long time. Yeah, and they, they've needed to accept our service and the rules that we have in place and the limitations that we do place on them from time to time, uh, they've, they've had to accept that. And you can see slowly but surely the community, you can see signs that that is happening. I think it takes a long time for very marginalised people, people who are rejected, to build a level of trust in a service uh, and the fact that I think, you know, you can see evidence of that if you spend any time in the service that, yeah, it's a pretty profound thing. The value of this trust that's been built can't be overstated. And a key element in maintaining it is the security team. Each of them has this professional peaceability, this Lebowski level of chill and the way they have of being on the level with clients, it evidently works. Someone's coming in here and just creating, just having a bad day. If it's my one of all these, yeah, I'll just speak to them, chat to them and just try to help them. Like what happened? How did it happen? Where did it happen? And from there we go through, we solve the problem. A lot of the clients have in their mind that, there's stuff left inside here. Like it just happened today. There was a person who was a bit confused, walked out, he reckons he left his bag here. So I got his detail what time he walked in. I went, I looked at cameras, I looked at all the way. He walked out the building just with a coffee cup. There was no bag. So I went around in and the person really trusted me. And I said, look, mate, I've looked the footage and it's nothing there. And they were like, yeah, fair enough. And they left the building. There are a few times that we did found stuff that clients left over. I went into the lost property and have a look. And I found it there and gave it to client. He goes out, he tells 10 person, you know, I found it, it's here. So it's all set up on trust. How strong is that word of mouth in the community? Uh, it's very strong. Anyone new person comes into the community known to them, they're always introduced to the security and staff members and just to tell them like, look, these people are helpful and we should make sure we follow their directions and we don't want to do anything over the above so that they have to work as a worker. <laughs> um, we just here like as a community and a family. Which is not to say it's all rainbows. Drama happens of one kind or another and workers can definitely be in the firing line. I've had a client, you know, start yelling at me 
and um, other clients in the room will pounce on him. So there's a lot of protection of the staff from the clients, which in a funny sort of way, is a, it's, it's a really nice thing because you know you've got that sort of relationship with them, that that's how, it's, how deeply it's developed. And I've had clients pull me aside and say, don't worry about what he said to you, that, you know, I don't agree with him and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. It's, um, you know, you know there's, there's a lot of respect um, both ways. There's a little bit of argy-bargy every now and then, but that's humans interacting is all that is. But, yeah, the more negative things don't happen inside the space, they happen to people outside the space. Knowing how at-risk some clients are when they're outside the MSER, when a regular suddenly stops coming in, it can raise concern. It's, you have someone on your mind and you think, oh, I haven't seen them in a while, I hope they're OK. And it could be that they've stopped using or they might have been incarcerated or they might be in hospital or so many reasons. Um, you know, you, you see someone so often and you don't see them and you just hope that it's for a good reason, hope that they're OK. And then they might come back and you're like, oh, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. And they're like, oh, you know, I went off to the country for a couple of months or, you know, that type of thing, which is, you know... It's good because good to know they're still alive, but if you don't see them again, you've got to sit with that and go, well, we hope for the best. The days that I find the hardest are when we come to work and we get confirmation of a death of someone that's died within community. These deaths that happen out in the world, beyond the MSER, can hit staff hard. You know, there's a, a big cohort of people that do use a room several times a day that spend a lot of time out here on the footprint. You know, if someone might come and say, oh, I've heard that someone's passed away, so then I'll pass that on to, we'll pass that on to our program manager who then will go to the right channels and check with police or someone to confirm if there has been a death before it's announced to the staff group. And then you've got to go on the floor and work. And I think... I think management would be okay if you needed to go home, but I don't. And it can be really hard when you're trying to absorb the loss of that person. Do you often know what's, you know, what's happened? No, not necessarily. We get confirmation of the death, but we're not family. In a sense, we're family. We might be the only family that clients have apart from their community but because we're not next of kin we don't hear and plus there's got to be the coroner's report so general community here of deaths and if people that use drugs the assumption is they've overdosed it could be an underlying health condition that's caused it but it's just yeah it is very very sad do you ever attend a funeral no, I'd, I would have liked to, but not family. Yeah, it's not part of our role. Plus, it's confidential service. So if we were to go along and ask who are we, we might be disclosing things that the person that's passed didn't want disclosed. It was up to them to disclose it. I hang on to a happy moment, a special moment that I've shared with that person. And it's usually a laugh or a smile or, you know, a joke we've had the last time I've seen them or through their journey. 
the first one that I lost and very close to me, it was a bit hard for me. I couldn't believe it for a couple of days. Very close, like, you know, yeah. but I try to make myself um, more tougher and harder and say, look, either if I'm staying in this industry, there will be stuff happening. You have to be a more stronger and you have to see how we can help his family member. It, that's that's going to help me for not having my mental health and that person who's really close to him. I have lost some people that I was very fond of and I'll just share with you, I went to someone's funeral and just seeing how there was so much more to that person's life here and now and kind of in the immediate space, family, friends, memories, but, you know, in the past as well. This person was a person with a, with a family, with a childhood, teenage years, as a young person, as a young parent. Like, there's a whole story there. For me, once I got to see that and be a part of it at the funeral service, I was like, man, I'm lucky to work here. And I just wish people knew outside of all this, people coming through our centre, they're just people. They're people who use drugs with their people. If someone's, yeah, you know, age old brother, sister, nephew, niece, auntie, uncle, mum, dad, friend, colleague, you know, whatever it is, in person. Just off to the side of aftercare is a small clinic room, which is home to the MSERS Epoch program. This is Melbourne's secret weapon when it comes to stopping the spread of bloodborne viruses, things like HIV and hepatitis in particular, things to which people who inject drugs can be especially prone. And when aftercare is bursting at the seams with people, which can happen, workers from the Epoch Clinic might be called in to help out. Like all staff, they wear many hats. You might have the counsellor hat. You might have the, you know, phone technician when people are trying to figure out how to download songs onto their phone to, like, listen to. You might be, yeah, the, the bloodborne virus worker, help someone out with housing, um a liaison between a worker and a welfare service or a, or um, the NDIS and, and those kind of things. You might just be there to kind of be put on hold. And, 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 uh, what? They just go hold my phone? Yeah, can you, can you hold this? Like, can you wait for the thing? And, you know, you're just sort of like sitting there with the phone next to you. Waiting and, oh, yeah, you know, you, you've gotten through. You can come through. It's all good. Um, what a classic. Yeah, yeah. Can so, you come around and do that for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, and then like a needle and syringe program worker and, and outreach worker and check in on welfare and those kind of things. So It's quite a remarkable place where you can have these type of interactions with people, these fleeting interactions that are just really meaningful to them. And you don't know what's going on in people's lives. You know, I walked through to go to Handover and saw the guy that... You know, I chat to a fair bit, so I sat with him and he's with another client who disclosed a few weeks ago that he has a plan to commit suicide. 
in a couple of weeks' time. And um, so we've been trying to work with him a fair bit. Um, and I just sat with him then for a few minutes because he agreed to come and see one of our GPs. And I said, have you seen him yet? And he said, no. So we talked about when he could come and I just asked him how he was going now. And, um, and you know, he's a really quiet guy that nobody really talks to a lot because he just quietly comes in and out. But just at one point a few weeks ago, somebody had the opportunity to have a bit more of a further discussion with him and and it revealed, you know, his, this, this sort of awful scenario that he's got going on with him. Um, but he's come back and he's here again and he's agreed to see the GP, sort of all quite positive things. Can people stay as long as they want? Generally, we don't tend to push people out the door. I mean, unless, you know, there's an altercation with someone else or, you know, it can sometimes get quite heated if there's, a, you know, a lot of people in a room and everyone wants a coffee at the same time and, you know, it's quite a, quite a small space sometimes. It can be when there's 25 people in there. If someone's been around for a few hours, we might say, well, would you mind, you know, leaving and, you know, you can go back around if you need to, but, you know, it's getting a bit, bit hectic in here and we've got more and more people coming through and most people are OK with that. Clearing people from aftercare at closing time can be a complicated business, and we'll get to that daily conundrum in our final episode. But for now, you can download our next episode, stories from two more people in the MSER community. Sammy, a loud and proud advocate for people who inject drugs. And Rachel, who says it like it is when it comes to her own substance use and the behaviour of others who she sees at the MSER. After that, keep watching in your feed for Zone 4, where you'll hear about an aspect of the MSER that you might not expect in-house treatment for people who want to moderate their heroin use or even stop using heroin. The health workers whose voices you heard in this episode were Tess, Dylan, Kerry, Lisa, Simon, Paul and Jen. Also Head of Security, Amri. Big thanks to them all and to all the staff and clients who put up with me recording in their space. Thanks to everyone at the MSER who has so warmly supported this independent production, especially to Nico, to Jen and to Shelley. Our theme is by Jen Anderson. All other music credits and acknowledgements are in the show notes. Nobody Dies Here was recorded in Richmond on the land of the Wurundjeri people and produced in Mianjin, or Brisbane, on Turbul Yagara land. First Nations sovereignty has never been ceded. If you're enjoying the series, I'd love you to share it with someone. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes. Thank you for listening.